0: Three, two, one. Welcome back to Podcast Nur. Our next storyteller is someone who I've never seen, I've never met in person, and I don't even know her actual name. And yet, this person has been transformative in my own spiritual journey. She goes by a pseudonym, a Helwa, or Helwa for short which means sweet in Arabic. Hilwa is a writer, poet. She has her master's in divinity. And she is the author of the brilliant book, Secrets of Divine Love, A Journey into the Heart of Islam. This book was gifted to me by my aunt years ago. And I've gifted it many times, even before reading it myself. That's because in just the first few pages of the book, the reader is enveloped in love and faced with this choice to embark on their own spiritual journey. It was the first time that I had ever heard somebody experience or go on their journey in Islam in such a transcendent, loving, and open and curious way. And so that really spoke to me. When I finally got around to reading the book myself, I knew I couldn't do it alone. So I announced our first at-your-service book club, Secrets of Divine Love, our first read. Over 1,100 people signed up. My DMs were on fire. So many people who had also had the book but hadn't felt ready to read it, or people who have read it many, many times, or people like me who found themselves gifting it over and over again. Our book club spanned four Sundays in the month of Ramadan, and it was the best gift of community that I'd ever felt during the holy month. Secrets of Divine Love and Hilwa are not just for the person who's on their Muslim journey. It's for anyone seeking a loving connection to God, creator, or source. Our book club was filled with people from all backgrounds and faiths, who shared questions and vulnerable stories, who found community with one another, and who continue to do so. Helwa herself joined our book club, and we recorded this podcast conversation during the month of Ramadan, just before our last book club, while Helwa was en route to Palestine. While this was a virtual interview, I also want to share with you that I felt compelled to keep my eyes closed the entire conversation. It really felt like I was traveling with Hedwa in her own adventurous stories of how she connects to her own spirit. And hint, hint, there's a story of her getting lost in a desert, which seems to be a common theme among people's spiritual stories and journeys. Anyway, this is a storytelling session I will absolutely be revisiting. And I highly encourage you to set an intention before diving in. Welcome to How to Embark on a Spiritual Journey Rooted in Love with A. Hedwa. So great to virtually meet you. I'm so honored to have you on Hedwa. Can I ask if that's your real name?
1: That's a good question. People ask me that all the time. It is not.
0: We love a pseudonym. Tell me the story behind um, your decision to, to write under a pseudonym.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So basically when I felt this guidance to write, I had no idea how to even go about doing that. I had written poetry my whole life, but I had never written long form. In fact, my favorite subject has always been math. It's, it's more objective. <laughs> I think my uh, lowest grades were in English. <laughs> so
0: That's hilarious.
1: Yeah, writing is just very subjective. So I don't think of it as my strong suit, mm. which for me, this book is always a testament that there is divine help in the things that we do, inshallah. And like, I see so much of that help just because I know my lack of ability really well. A stranger may not know that, you know, but I know that one plus one equals two, not like 200. <laughs> You know, so
0: <laughs> um, that I love that because I think that that's also a testament to how divine the writing process can actually be when you mm. completely, completely empty yourself out and surrender to just being a vessel of whatever message is meant to come through. Because mm. sometimes I think that, like, even when I read writing that I wrote as a child, I'm like, that was not me. Like, where did um, this come from? So it's it's such a profound experience. So we always kick off these conversations, not by talking about pseudonyms, but actually asking, <laughs> how is your heart today?
1: Hmm. I love that. My teacher used to ask, your heart, what does she say? English wasn't mm. his first language, but I almost feel like I like that grammatically a lot.
0: I love it grammatically.
1: Because it emphasizes the heart. So it's like, your heart, what does she say? Today I feel like there's this line that keeps repeating in my mind. It's an old poem that basically says, when the sun rises, there's no need for the lamp. And I've just really been sitting without this Ramadan from a place of, sometimes this month could be a list of things we want to do, that I want to do but really just being present with, when the light of God's presence rises, the lamps, not that the actions aren't important, not that the practices aren't important, but they're lamps to guide us in the darkness. But when that presence arrives, and it never left, it's an arrival that never left. It's kind of like the Quran, Mm -hmm. they say like, I was listening to someone who said, the Quran was sent from a far distance but God's not in time and space. So what does that distance mean except the distance of awareness, our awareness, our lack of awareness? So I've just been sitting with that. My heart's just been sitting with the lamps in my life and and how hard I sometimes hold to a flashlight when it's day daylight outside. And wow. so I've just been really present with that. Another way of saying that is like, use a boat to get across the river, but you wouldn't put that boat on your back and carry it across the desert. (laughs) (laughs) Like God gives us moments and gifts. How do you use it in the moment, be present, and also realize
2: Mm.
1: how do we let go of what was maybe one way of being was working, and now I'm being guided to be a different being? And, And I wanna clarify, that doesn't mean I'm leaving my practices behind but it's leaving the parts of myself behind that are no longer serving me. And I think in the heart, there is so much peace in that. But in the mind, there's a lot of war. It's a struggle because there's an attachment. Mm. So just being gentle with myself, I think today.
0: That's beautiful.
2: Mm.
0: You know, it's interesting to think about darkness and lightness in that way. I, it's so sorry. I'm like having a memory of like this kind of vision I had this morning, actually. So I've had like a very, I'm going through a very intense part of my own spiritual journey right now. And I was in yoga this morning and during Shavasana where you're like just resting and like corpse pose and you're feeling the weight of yourself on the ground. I closed my eyes and, um, I like went to this place in my mind that I I used to, and I don't say used to like years ago, but just maybe even just a few months ago when I felt a little bit more grounded or whatever. But this place in my mind where it's like very very dark, but there's like a um, a light that shines on me, and I'm sitting on like water, like it's a very mm. shallow water, but it's all dark, and there's just a a, a moment of light, and I always see like. It's, it's really deep, deep, deep in the earth and everything above is just noise. And today, mm. for the first time ever, like I've, I've gone to this place in my mind for, like for years as a place of just like solitude and peace. And today, for the first time, I started seeing like flickers of light in this space in my mind or my imagination. And the flickers of light began to shine in the darkness but I started seeing people in deep meditation in the darkness as well. And I realized, oh, like this place that I thought I came to in solitude and and alone, like while I am in my body and I am fully alone in this very moment, I am surrounded by other people who are reaching that same place deep in the ground, deep in their spirit where Mm. they are trying to find that solace away from the noise and so it is, it's an interesting reflection that you have on darkness and, and light because they're, they're both tools for ourselves to maybe even like carve out who we are in this moment right now. And I'd love to ask you when you felt one of your first pivotal moments of darkness where you realized actually the darkness is in service of the journey that you are about to embark
1: on. Well, first of all, I just wanted to say that the story you shared is so, it's so deep and so grounded and I feel so true. It's almost like tuning in to a frequency on the radio. Mm -hmm. There's something playing, but you only hear it when you tune to it. And then that's the listening. The question is, how do you listen when there's no separation? How do I listen to you when there's no space for your words to travel? from your mouth to my ears, and then you realize that you are the song playing, like that there is a music of your soul and that we're in symphony with others and that Mm. we're not separate. One way a teacher of mine said, she said, you can't be in the love and right at the same time because right has wrong and it's duality Love is about unity. Mm. So that space, that plane, there's a oneness in it. And that's really the beauty of light, is that it, when it hits density, it unveils its colors hidden in its unity. And that's what we see in the spectrum. But red doesn't belong to red, and blue doesn't belong to blue. They all belong to the light. And so when you're really present, you get to see in the multiplicity unity. And that's why mm. in the unity, it's like solitude, but there's also presences. It's this paradox the mind can't really grasp. Hmm. So I think your story, that experience, it's so beautiful and such a testament to an everyday moment. And also it's significant that it's in corpse pose because <laughs> uh, yeah. we do love a die before you die uh, analogy. Of the Islamic tradition is like when you have, you know, detached at a moment, you get to experience your the breath of your being.
0: It's also funny because I just read um, the passage that you like the chat I'm reading the chapter on death in Secrets of Divine Love, and um, it feels so true because there's there's a line that you write about how the Prophet peace be upon him talked about the importance of visiting cemeteries, and it's funny because. My husband and I, we go to our local cemetery every single morning. Every single mm. morning, we go, we sit, we walk, we talk, and no phones, no electronics are allowed. This is like a thing that people who, who know us know this about us. And it's very interesting because today was the first time – my my yoga class used to be at a different studio. Today was the first time it was at the studio we had. We, I was at and the studio is in the cemetery. And so when I'm in corpse pose, I'm actually surrounded, the windows are showing the tombs and the tombstones and the gravestones. And so I just made that full circle moment as you said that. So I apologize for cutting you off, but the visual transcends that because I think that that was actually probably why.
1: Wow. It's so incredible how like God just speaks to us so apparently sometimes. It's so clear, you know? And I think there's such power in that because, like, when I go visit my loved ones that have passed, like, I'll lay next to them, next to their gravesite, and I'll just sit, like, looking at the clouds, changing shapes, and just realize, like, everything is like that. Like, I feel here and alive, but I am also reaching towards the annihilation. And there's such beauty in that when you really accept it
2: Mm.
1: because you're willing to receive whatever God has destined, obviously we have an ego. I have an ego. We have enough. It's like, it's a journey, but this is a really powerful practice. It makes me like, um, yeah, I feel it's really beautiful. And I'm happy you shared that with me. It's, uh, it's, It's inspirational and something I aspire to. It's beautiful.
0: Your words, even when you wrote, like, because we end up spending more time in the ground than above it. And I was just like, oh, I literally highlighted it. And then I sent it to my family group chat. I was like, this is why Adam and I spend every day in the cemetery. (laughs) It's just like getting to know, you know, getting to know our neighbors. And I feel really lucky because the cemetery that we visit is actually an artist cemetery. Mm. And so people from like the 1800s until now who worked in, in art and music and philosophy and writing. And so all of their like headstones have poems or poetic descriptions of them. And it's just so profound. Like my favorite one is um of Dr. James T. Shotwell and his stone says a crusader for of peace. Mm. And there's like a little memorial for him that um just encompasses the entire cemetery. I, I do a lot of writing there, but I just yeah, I I we've made it a habit that everywhere we go we we look for the local cemetery and go visit the people who Stay there. Wow. It's really great.
1: That's amazing. That is cool. Usually when I go to a new country where there's teachers who've been buried, like I'll go and just walk the cemeteries and just pray for those who've passed kind of thing. But this is like a daily practice is beautiful instead of like a weekly yeah. one. It's nice. Like a daily reminder. I love that.
0: Yeah. Thank you. So tell me about darkness and you.
1: So I think darkness has its teaching for sure. And it's the place of contrast. And for me, it's the places where I'm so aware of how desperately I need God, how desperately I need Him, and that presence. And so when I think back in my story, and I always try to make an emphasize, like emphasis that I was not a practicing Muslim for about 10 years of my life. And I share that because I think a lot of times people feel like if they read something inspirational, they attribute a perfectionism to a person, or they even assume that a state is a station, like a passing state, or moments of inspiration is is a station. And it's not. I consider myself like an everyday Muslim, just trying to do her best. And I think because I had an experience where I was born Muslim, but took space from the tradition, as I went and traveled the world, really, for those 10 years, and when I came back to the tradition it was from actually from darkness from a place of deep longing and separation
2: mm.
1: and i hadn't experienced god in that way in my life i had always experienced god through my parents relationship with god mm. i was almost tell like me about that yeah like piggybacking on their relationship how they saw mm-hmm. god how they experienced god how they worship God, and they were so beautiful in their worship, but I could, I didn't feel it, and it was so disorienting mm-hmm. to know one yeah. way of being and to not feel that, and I see and hear that disconnection that people experience amongst many people, and there's a hopelessness in it. And I always want to say that I felt that before, and mm-hmm. I truly believe that the way through the darkness through the darkness, is like, as one of my teachers says, she's like, you could fight the darkness. You could speak with the darkness. You could be a lawyer and debate with the darkness, or you could just turn on the light. I'm like, yeah, but like, how do I do that? So then comes the questions of how. And I've learned now through my life that when how arrives, it's the ego wanting to take control. It's the ego wanting to find a way And so one of the things I've learned through that journey is to be with God now, even in the place where I feel disconnected. It's like to start and begin right here. Not one day if I, not if I could only, not back when I was, but right here where I'm not and I'm hurting and it's hard and I have doubts. Mm. And I turn to God there. That's my Mm. moment of dark. That's where the dawn rises. Because everything else is an illusion. Like the future is not here yet. So we put a lot of our energy into perfectionism. And actually, you can't come to the perfect one pretending perfectionism. How could God (laughs) heal who you're pretending to be? Mm. You have to come with who you are broken, bruised, struggling, needy, poor. And that's how you approach the rich, the healer, Mm. the one. How else could you approach that? There's um, a beautiful story of uh, Shamsa Tabrizi. And, you know, the poets always create these mythical sort of stories. But this particular poet envisioned Shamsa Tabrizi, which is Rumi's teacher, on the Day of Judgment, and everyone's like bowing before Allah and and they're just like, oh, Allah, I'm so sorry. Like, please forgive me. Please embrace, you, embrace me in your mercy. And they're just desperate for Allah's love. And the poet paints the picture of Shams running across the plains of the Day of Judgment and like raising his hands and going, God, God. And everyone's like, oh, my God, here he comes, you know. And he's like, I have something you don't have and I'm willing to sell it to you. And everyone's like, oh my God. And and God, like this, this poem goes, this divine presence says, okay, go ahead. What is it? And he's like, I have my lack and my nothingness. Mm. And you don't have that. <laughs> you know, he's like, I have empty hands. And like, all you mm. are is full oneness. Like, obviously God's without forms. But he's pointing to the fact that how we interact mm. with the divine is not through false perfection, but, but through our brokenness. And so I think mm. darkness really teaches us, teaches me, has taught me the places where I'm human, because it's through my humanity that I experience his divinity, which mm. is a hard lesson to learn, but it's the beginning of the journey.
0: Hey, I'm Noor Tagori. For my new podcast, Rep, I've been examining a very personal story about how the misrepresentation of Muslims and media has impacted American society as a whole. I thought I knew the story, but the more I look for answers, the more questions I had. What is your America
2: story? I always felt like America stole me from myself, and it replaced it with a myth.
0: Welcome to Rep. Listen to Rep on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. Thank you for sharing that. It's so clear. I'm thinking about the 10 years that you embarked on this journey. I want to know about the woman who was leaving her parents' house or tradition and decided, I'm gonna try to figure this out for myself. What did she feel like? What did she look like? How did her parents react? How did her community react? What was the state of her heart? And what was her first question?
1: Mm. It's a wonderful question. I remember longing for something, but not knowing what it was. And so because I had a need but didn't know what I was seeking, it was almost like I was in a blind, in a room, like just (laughs) moving my hands around trying to find a wall. And so sometimes Mm. I landed on things that were sharp and sometimes I crashed into things, but it was because I was blindly seeking for something.
2: Mm.
1: So... You land on money, that wasn't it. You land on people, that wasn't it. You land on success, still not it. Fame, still not it. You just keep, travel the world, it's not it. Meet interesting people, it's not it, it's not it, it's not it, and just like reaching, reaching, reaching. And everything I hit, it felt like I was further away than when I began. Almost Mm. like I was taking these, like, almost like mini little idols that I was putting in my pocket. So it was slowing me down. Mm. And it wasn't until I was at a monastery, a Buddhist monastery. I remember my parents, because I was really, like, with the monks. And it was funny because in my teenage years, I struggled to wake up for Fajr. But I would wake up every morning at five a.m. to do meditate for an hour with the monks, and it wasn't hard at all. So then I knew it wasn't. Where the time. was this? It was in um, in San Diego. There's this not Han, who's like a popular Zen Buddhist teacher. He's passed now, but he has a monastery mm. called Deer Park Monastery, and it's like in the mountains. Mm. And um, yeah, I would. Uh, <laughs> So I would waking up for like many, many weeks and I'd wake up with them, but I'd never wake up for Fajr when I, was a, when I was a child. I hardly used to wake up for Fajr when I was like 12, 13. And here I was awake, excited to be in the presence. And I remember my parents would visit me on visitor days and they're very muslim but they never said anything my mom said later she was really praying for me to find my <laughs> way but they just they didn't say anything and i'm mm-hmm. they had faith that i would find my path the one that god had planned for me and i remember after that experience and a few experiences traveling that it was in the observation, I share this briefly in my book, but observation of a person praying that ignited Mm -hmm. my spirit. And I always think this is so interesting because I was so hungry for something. And what, after all that, seeing the world, all the things that I think maybe people seek for touching it, the thing that transformed my heart wasn't a book it wasn't um, it wasn't some great teacher. it was witnessing a single person, a stranger's sincerity praying with just such beautiful light and purity and I realized in that moment that presence that unseen presence can change. Whoever that person is, I am sure on the day of judgment, they will see that their private moment in a corner with God inspired my whole journey. And every book goes back to them in a way. Mm. And that's the ripple effect of being a sincere servant to God, which I I feel that this person was. And it ignited something in me. It reminded me of who I was, but I couldn't. I was searching everywhere for the answer, except I just didn't look inside.
2: Mm.
1: And Rabia, they famously came to her and like, Rabia, come outside. It's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful spring day. And she's like, man, if you could see what it looks like inside, you would never ask me to come outside because of the heaven that exists inside of our spirits. Like, now is the time where I I realized you could be in a corner of an unknown mosque and be traveling to the most beautiful places without physically leaving where you are.
2: Mm.
1: And so- Did
0: you ever speak to that woman?
1: No, Hmm. I don't know her name. She doesn't know mine. But I am here carrying a part of her breath in my words and in my life. And that's Mm -hmm. the beautiful thing about the plane that you entered in your practice is it's just a reminder that there's this breath that just rolls through all of us. And when me and you breathe, we could be continents apart. But I take in a few molecules of your breath and of your ancestors tens of thousands of years ago in this recycled air.
2: Mm.
1: So when I breathe, I breathe in my grandmother I take in a breath of the prophet, peace be upon him, his companions, like that is how close we are.
2: Hmm.
0: I mean, that comes back to oneness. And that's like, that's the thing that I've been really meditating on, this is where I find peace. And I'm so grateful for the work that you do because it's given me some language that I needed to understand this feeling in this journey itself, and I've always referred back to this notion that God is one, this notion mm-hmm. of unity. And if we, it's funny because um, I was listening to a podcast episode yesterday with Krista Tippett and mm-hmm. Reverend Barbara Taylor, Barbara Brown Taylor, I believe that was her name, and she. At the end of the interview, quoted her Muslim friends as they say, um, "God being closer to us than our jugular vein." And I just mm. mentioned that because I love that a reverend who lives in Georgia meant like quoted that. And so when I think about the closeness of God, and then when I think about God telling us that He's closer to us than our jugular vein, so God is also telling us that He is inside of us. And then we think about the oneness of God, then the conclusion I draw, the image I draw in my head is that I am you and you are me and we are all one and we are all of each other, right? Mm. And so where things get tricky, where our humanness, I think, gets distracting or in the way is this notion of I'm right and you're wrong. I have the truth and you have a lie, or this idea that like, there can only be one way. And it was profound that you had mentioned earlier that there, cannot, there can't be right in love because right insinuates there's a wrong, which is duality and love is unity. And maybe the question I'm trying to ask is, How did, how do you feel like in the state of connection to unity today, how do you feel we got to this place of such disconnection, such absolutism, such certainty that my truth is the only way and the fear that embodies all of it?
1: Mm. Well, I feel like in the Quran, Allah says that if you're arrogant, you can't witness the signs, like you're veiled from witnessing the signs. Because if you're arrogant, you've created separation. And arrogance is a quality of darkness, of the the devil. That's the pride and arrogance is prevented him from bowing when Allah asked him to bow. So that arrogance is this test that arrives in front of us. And here's the thing that's interesting about arrogance, is arrogance is the same, which I think is, to me, is very worth sitting with, is saying I am better, which is the classic phrase from the Quran that mm. the devil says, I'm better, is arrogant. But saying I'm worse is arrogant too. Because you're looking, you are a masterpiece of God, and you're looking at this, at God, the artist, and telling him what his masterpiece is worth. Mm. You're going into God's museum and saying, hmm, you know, that price is wrong. It should be less. And that's arrogant. So saying I am worse and saying I am better creates separation. On top of the fact that the devil also says, "I will find them on the path." I say this in the book on the east, on the left, the right, in front of them, behind them, to convince you, not that they don't believe in God, not that they don't pray, not that they're greedy, but that they're ungrateful. Hmm. so when you're if you have arrogance and ingratitude you are absolutely veiled from the signs and it's like you're blind it's like the image of me in a dark room trying to find my way you're you're just crashing into everyone you can't really have regard for other people and their space and their process because you can't even see that In the Quran it says it's the hearts that are blind. It's the hearts that can't see. Hmm. There's a story of a of the Gnostics of Christianity. They call them like the desert abbas. And this guy goes to visit a desert abba in the mountains. And he goes into his little cave and he's like, "Father, where, where's your Bible?" Like, I don't see any books here. And he, the man grabs him and he takes him to the edge of his cave. And he and there's this wide expanse. And he's like, there's my Psalms. You know, he points to a mountain range. And he's, hmm. he's just naming different chapters of the Bible because he understands that the words come off the page. If God said be and everything was, then his divine speech brought to life everything. Mm. So even like witnessing God, if you can witness God's qualities manifested in forms, if you can witness his divine names bringing to life everything, then it's how could you not love that? And if you don't Mm. love the creation, how could you say you love the creator of that creation? see the beautiful thing about Islam is like it's cornerstone is mercy you know what mercy is it's so fascinating mercy requires me to be fallible to experience hmm. like how loving is God that every time we start our prayers we're saying God who is the Rahman like, he, his mercy encompasses everything and that encompassing knows that I'm fallible. <laughs> like, I can't even take it in had I not been human. hmm
0: I always think about that. And I've been thinking about that more as we've been reading the book. And um, it's very interesting. I keep saying interesting, I think, because I'm more nervous to say... Like how I really feel, but
2: it's, Mm.
0: or maybe I don't have the language entirely. I think I'm just in a state of curiosity right now, but I'm experiencing um, the fear of loved ones that comes Mm. with going on this journey, the fear of a parent being afraid that asking these questions or exploring or taking a step back from the way that I was raised or the tradition I was brought up in and the way that it was taught is um, condemnable or wrong or astray. And I, I keep going back and forth between like the humanness of that reaction And then the mercy of God and how like deep, deep, deep in my core, I truly, truly, truly believe that this journey is the one that we're meant to embark on, Mm. that we are not meant to be sheep who just, you know, are told when you're growing up, this is what you do. This is what you do. This is what you do. And if you don't do it, you're going to go to hell and you must stick to that. And, um, and that's that. And it's interesting because I was um, on a call with uh, Dr. Butch Ware earlier. He's a um, mm-hmm. historian and professor. And he studied in Senegal and he did his dissertation on Quranic education. And he said to me, I literally wrote this down. He said, one of the questions that he would ask the the people who he was interviewing for his dissertation on Quranic education is what's the best re- what what is the best way to raise a muslim child and he said every time people told me directly there is no such thing as a muslim child that is a child of a muslim every single person has to come to their own faith their own submission mm. you do not educate a muslim child Your job is to model to them what faith looks like. Mm. And when he said that, I was a little taken aback because I was like, whoa. But I have always thought about this notion of like, you know, I think that in our tradition, there's this expectation that you, you teach and you give your children your faith and you raise them to be a Muslim child. But I found it even more almost holy, this idea that, like that as a child of a muslim and you you model to them what faith looks like so that they may come to their submission and faith on their own because isn't that what true conviction looks like isn't that what true affirmation of faith looks like isn't that what true love looks like it's terrifying especially Mm. for people who want to hold on to control because the reality is and this is why I have so much compassion for my parents and family members and people who feel this way it's because I think that they feel like it's their responsibility like I'm responsible for your actions because that does this mean I didn't do a good job and making you like fear God enough essentially mm-hmm. but I I literally just had this conversation with Dr. where like a couple of hours ago. So it's still sitting with me, this notion of that is a child of a Muslim mm. who has to come to their faith on their own. But I would love to hear how you reflect on that.
1: That's beautiful what he shared. And your reflections on that is, um, I think it's really poignant and I think it's something that we're stepping into this era for sure. Yeah. I think, I, I like, <laughs> my friends make fun of me though. Use too many gardening references, but it just makes we sense to me. Is <laughs> like when we're you, in the
0: mountains, this I'm is perfect. Embracing it.
1: <laughs> but when you grow when you if anyone's tended a garden before, you know you cannot control the way that the, the tree grows. It's you create optimal environment. You support it. You make sure the soil is fertile. Mm. And you let the tree reach its arms and seek for light. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it goes straight up, sometimes it wends like a river, but the calling is really allowing children to be in the light, to have a taste of that. And I I always think about how like, no one can describe what an apple tastes like, (laughs) except through like apple-y references (laughs) Like it's not quite (laughs) it. And you could write volumes breaking down the compounds of it. But when you take that bite, you know something about an apple that that intellectual doesn't know through experience.
2: Mm. Mm -hmm.
1: And when going even back to when you mentioned like there's these different paths and people are trying to establish what's right. The thing about that is like Density can only be in one time, in one space. For example, a flower kind of only occupies its space, but its fragrance can intermingle with a lot of different fragrances because it's more subtle. Mm. Mm -hmm. So when we find ourselves in conflict and like there's resistance, it's a really nice moment to stop and to be present with the subtlety with the fragrance behind and beneath. When I asked my one of my teachers, what should I bring for Palestine? She said, peace. Hmm. If you want to bring something for the people here, bring peace. Subtlety. Hmm. What so- does
0: bringing peace look like to you, though?
1: Mm-hmm. Great question. So bring my peace. Bring peace Mm -hmm. inside myself. Mm -hmm. Because if you're, it's like I'm looking through a kaleidoscope. If my vision is broken, everything's broken. So purify your own heart. Establish presence in your own being. And be a light and i believe everybody can do that of every faith cuz god made every single person that's the that's mm-hmm. the beauty about in my belief being muslim and i what i love about it is that i can look at every single person and say regardless of what you believe you're free to believe what you believe but what i believe mm-hmm. is god made you and intentionally created you and every single breath you take he chooses for you to take mm-hmm. how can you say what can you say to someone who's been so divinely chosen? How would you hold that reality? Because mm. we, we hold the Quran with such respect as we should, but then we don't hold each other with respect. But the same God yeah. made both. And so mm. with children, how do you invite someone to an experience? I'll tell you a story of some of the work I do is in prisons and we were sharing, a, one of my friends made a movie and we're re- doing a prison release. And he's like, hey, can you do like a meditation type thing? And I'm like, okay, you know, um, and there's just like 100 men in there and, oh, what should I do? I was just sitting there thinking about it. And it came very clearly, like, I know the Lord's Prayer from going to Christian school my whole life. I know the Shema from having Jewish friends, and I obviously know the Fatiha. So let's go. And it was so, (laughs) you know, it's so interesting. Um, It's perfect saying this because it's the Ramadan, Passover, Easter. (laughs) I know. Feeling, you know. But it's just stepping into that environment and saying, when in the Quran it says, don't make distinctions between the prophets. I take that seriously. Mm. I'm not saying that people don't have different paths. I'm not saying that Islam is the same as Christianity is. I'm just saying that with those men in that moment saying those prayers, we left the prison. We closed our eyes and we were really close to the redwood forest mm. and we just became trees. We closed our eyes and we became trees. We grew branches. We grew roots and we shot our roots all the way to where our loved ones were underneath those prison walls. And we used our breath to go where our bodies couldn't. And so we took in love and we exhaled it across and beyond time and space. (sighs) And everyone in that room believed something different. But in that moment, we were a forest. And that's just being present and saying, you, yes, have made mistakes. Me, yes, I have made mistakes. And we could still be here together. And it was a little funny, too, because they all really liked my song, which is what they call the Fatiha. <laughs> I really like that song. <laughs> Where can I get I that track? I love that. And I was like,
0: um. Oh, my gosh. That's incredible. It's
1: funny, you know. So it's, we, we make separation yeah. And that's a function of, of course, of our ego. It creates duality. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: Wow. I mean, thank you for sharing the work that you do. I That's so beautiful. And I would love to hear more about that. And I would also love to hear about the journey that you're currently on. So you're, we're having this conversation. You're in Dubai. I'm in New York, and you are on your way to Palestine, to Palestine. Mm -hmm. What is taking you there, and how are you cultivating the peace within to bring that light to the land?
2: Mm.
1: Hmm. So I feel like the peace within is really about being a mediator between the ego and spirit inside of me,
2: mm.
1: between the growing voice of the spirit and the dimming voice, of the ego, and really working on the practice of Astaghfirullahaladzim, like turning my heart to Allah And not avoiding or pretending like my naf's ego is not present, but just choosing to orient my body towards God.
2: Mm.
1: And in that space, being gentle with myself. And leaning into peace. Mm. And using my breath to breathe in the constriction and exhale the peace. Breathe in divine love and exhale divine love. Realize that with awareness, every time we breathe, we change the world. Mm. We're like reverse trees, you know? (laughs) And if you really feel the presence of the laws of Allah, you feel gravity press you into the earth.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And when I'm in my heart, I see that as a way the earth holds me, hugs me, calls me to it. So, this entire earth is in support of mercy, gentleness, and humility. Mm. So, I walk as just one body, but there's an entire planet beneath my feet that supports the journey, that gave of itself so that I could have a spark of existence to do what it couldn't. Allah chose us to be representatives of his mercy and love and to reflect his qualities upon all people. In this month uh, of Ramadan, Allah says he sent the Quran for all people. He didn't say Muslims, he said no, it's like all people that the divine message sent in Ramadan, Ramad, which is like extreme heat, the month of extreme heat, the month where if the Arab says extreme heat, it's hot because they lived in the desert. It's that place where you're desperate for relief. What is relief in hot desert? It's rain. And how God refers to revelation is rain
2: Mm.
1: So how could you be like that? What is it like to be like rain on dry earth? And to hold that question in your heart, not because the answer is going to set you free, but because holding the question reminds you that you're needy for God. And our cure is in our neediness, not in our completion of finding fulfillment on our own. I asked one of my teachers once, Amina, why don't I feel like I'm enough? And she said, oh, because you're not. I was like, man, that's (laughs) a bad answer. And the whole uh, group started laughing. And she said, no, but That's the point. You bring your neediness to Allah and you become enough through him, not before him. So you're on the path. So if you have doubts, if you have questions, it's like the answer sends itself out into the world to be found through a question just like that rose sends its fragrance out to be found.
2: Mm.
1: I see the space you create because of the questions you ask. And you hold people with so much honor because maybe you've haven't always been held that way. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so the empty space expanded your container. And that's how God blesses you through trials.
2: Thank
1: you. And that's a gift. That you don't get without the journey. And so going to Palestine is about praying and being present in the holy nights of Ramadan, the last 10 days, and to pray for the world. and to pray for those who are seeking Allah to find him. Hmm. Not because he's hidden, but as Ibn Atala says, he's so close that by his proximity, he's veiled.
2: Hmm.
0: Right, wow. That's a beautiful continuation of the image of the jugular vein. Mm. you often talk about your teachers and this is more of a practical question but i'm eager to hear it especially from you how do you go about not just finding teachers but trusting teachers engaging with teachers surrendering with teachers not to them but just with Mm. them and in their presence What is a teacher?
1: Hmm. You know, there was a... To answer this question, I'll share a brief story. I was traveling through a few deserts like of Morocco and Turkey and I ended up in Iran and uh, I decided to do a hike through the desert and I got lost. And When I walked into the desert, I had one question, and that was, why do you need a teacher? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, you know, we already have the books. I'll just read them. I don't need a teacher. And I was in my American mode of like, I don't need a man to tell me how to, (laughs) whatever. I had this whole picture. And I was walking through this desert and up and down these like it was kind of mountainous and sandy and i look on the floor and i see a huge piece of crystal I'm like what? never see so what do i do i pick it up put it in my backpack and then i oh my god is that jasper i'm obsessed with geology oh my god i Oh my God, is that, oh my God, that's laced agate. Like, I'm just picking it up. (laughs) Literally, like, I don't know what happened. Like, was there a gem show and someone, like, dropped their stuff? (laughs) And I'm walking through this desert north and I'm picking up stones. Oh my God, so pretty. This is so pretty. For hours. That's a
0: heavy backpack.
1: Heavy backpack. But (laughs) what's funny about that is I was so distracted with the, shiny little things I lost my way like I got turned around too much hmm. and I had no idea by the way okay let me turn on and walk back so I'm like okay I only have like seven eight miles to go back and I look and I'm like huh this doesn't look familiar this doesn't look familiar I don't remember that why this It's okay, it's just over the mountain, the little oasis. Go over the mountain? There's no oasis. There's just more mountains. For the next several, several hours. No.
0: No, 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 no. I am... (laughs) You are not lost in a desert.
1: Before we get into
0: Helwa being lost in the desert... I wanted to share a little bit about our team at your service. AYS tells stories as a form of service. Our approach, story first, medium second. That means when we decide we want to share a story, we think of the best way to tell it. That could be a podcast, a documentary, a dinner party, a keynote speech, a clothing line, and so many other mediums. You can check out our work at ays.media or at AYS on Instagram. And if you have any story ideas, shoot us a note. Oh, and make sure you listen to our Webby-nominated investigative podcast, Rep, a story about the stories we tell. We dig into media representation, our relationship with stories, truth, and objectivity. Okay, back to Hilwa
1: in the desert. I am so (laughs) lost. Like I have to find a picture somewhere. I am so lost and I go up the mountain. It takes like, it's like these little, like, tumbly rock mount. go all the way to the top. And I'm like, of course. I mean, this doesn't make sense. You came over this mountain ridge, over the mountain ridge. Like, I have no idea. I spend the net and my water's out. I have like a half a cup no. left. Oh it's-
2: my
0: gosh.
1: And it's such an interesting teaching because that's why I say the power of a question. Because my backpack is filled with rocks. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you can't eat them. And they don't have water. But they're shiny. But that's about it. Mm. Mm. And how often do we lose our way because of that very thing? You went
0: into the desert with that question?
1: Literally with that. I I have my book, like, literally with that question. And I was like convinced i was like come on like let's be real you're good you know what's up come on let's go you know totally like hard in my ego this is, why on, does man.
0: every big spiritual journey end up with someone lost in the desert please tell me
1: <laughs> like, why does it have to be like that <laughs> it's like harsh and it's great because it's know. the topography of revelation mm. like it means more to you yeah you know, like Allah yeah. says, like there will be a day, right? And it's like pearls will be cast upon the floor, and no one will care on that day of judgment, because mm-hmm. they'll see they'll be like, what is this even? This is an irritation mm-hmm. inside of a shell that created a defense mechanism, and that's what a pearl is, you know
0: it's so wild that you're saying this by the way because today for the first time ever mm. i saw a video of how pearls were extracted wow for the first time ever that's wild that you're saying it. and to be honest with you it made me really uncomfortable mm. i mean i love pearls i think they're so beautiful mm. and also i was just like the way that the oyster was being cut into and it felt like we were stealing from them or something mm. and it just but i didn't know it was in a regulation either that's really like incredible
1: you got me on your plane i mean i'm in your plane i know i guess we're really aligned i kind of feel like i'm radio station. right now
0: anyway <laughs> i love it a, i come from radio so this is perfect <laughs> yeah it's I, perfect. I mean you were lost in the desert so yeah i guess that would be a good um lesson in in figuring out why a teacher
1: so but here's the story goes it was also the first time I was really confronted with death because people in this oh, wow. desert, there was like animals, like they found like bodies. It's like, I was really confronted in that moment with, I actually might not get out of this. Cause mm. just judging the distance I came, the lack of water, the sun starting to go down. And two things happened for me. Mm. one, was it was the first time i felt my spirit pull me literally felt like someone like grabbing the front of your shirt and pulling you forward forward and the only thing i heard was don't stop keep walking and i would go over a mountain like when i tell you i wish i had a picture like hundreds of mountain ranges i didn't know which corner of these mountains the little oasis was like there's no way to know and i didn't know Okay, if was... so
0: tell us the end of the story though like, okay how yeah, did, sorry. So then how okay. did you yeah so no, then no, no, don't be sorry but like i'm like my heart is I'm like, so, my
1: very so <laughs> I'm i like but well, you're
0: here you're talking it's not yeah, i'm alive
1: <laughs> so i and this is important too just because i was writing secrets of divine love in this process too so it was a really Stop. integral moment of
0: that's where this book came from?
1: Like, yeah, in part. It was in part, I was working on it during this period, during this traveling oh my journey. Goodness. And it was so important to the book because, well, so then I go up and I'm like, and I just sit there and I'm like, God, I'm desperate. Like, I am so desperate. And as I'm just like praying desperately. I open my eyes and I see a telephone pole in the distance. (laughs) Just tall telephone pole in the distance. And I'm like, well, I should go towards the telephone pole because it has connection. (laughs) Right? Like, that makes sense because at least, like, they'll find my body near it, you know? Like, I was just like, let's just go in that direction. So long story short- What is short, your
0: body feeling like though? Like, tell me about like, what are you, are you tired? Are you hungry? I know you're feeling this force pulling you, but like, yeah. do you have anxiety? Do you have trust? What's happening inside?
1: So when I first, literally I felt my legs shake when I first realized, and it wasn't because I was oh, tired. Shit. It's just, I was like, mm-hmm. oh my God, like no one knows I'm here. Like I was- with a friend I met whilst traveling and she went in a different direction to a whole nother area. And like, I just met her traveling, backpacking. So it's so, all of it was just so wild. Like everything about it was wild. And the one, I missed Fager that morning by five minutes. And I, when I tell you, I swear the only thought I had was, I can't believe that miss Fudger, And then I was like, what about my parents? Oh my! And it, to me, it was such a surprise. Cause I was mm. like, wow, like when it comes to it, mm. this is what's important. And eventually I got up to, I did a few more up and downs and then I saw like a, in the distance, a road. And then I eventually came, it took hours, and i was like crawling towards the end no and i and i land at a mosque no um and the mosque it's
0: like i know you're not making this up but like
1: it was come no on. it feels the story actually gets a little bit hysterical too cuz god knows i love a little poetry is we love it this mosque was like in the name of one of the companions of the prophet <laughs> <laughs> oh the prophet and I'm like oh my god is this real like and I drink my water and I'm just crawling and by the way this guy comes and gives me. he's like are you okay and he like hands me water and I drink and I'm like oh my god and I'm sitting there like f- and I find my way back to this oasis like it kind of looks like a lot where Aladdin lived like this kind of really it does like there's no other way of describing it like <laughs> on top of each other kind of style. And I'm sitting there and I'm just like in shock. And my phone rings and my friend calls and she's like, I'm like 20 miles into the desert lost. Like, but I'm at this pool. Can you guys drive and get me? I swear to you, Newark. we go to her. She's literally in this Olympic sized pool in the middle of the desert. It's totally in the, middle of the desert. nobody around. So me and her, like with all our like Islamic gear, jump into this pool. <laughs> and we're I'm literally to, over my head with water an hour after that whole experience. And it was just looking out into the vast desert. No. So you baptized yourself. Literally, the teaching came down so hard. So it, hard. So softly, it was like, Allah can change your state from Jalal to Jamal instantly. When you're in your Jalal, you turn to him. And when you're in your Jamal, don't forget to turn to him. Because can you, you define both of those words for us? Yes. Like, Jalal being kind of like the majesty, but also people kind of see that as like a constricting qualities. Like the more difficult qualities um, mm-hmm. and Jamal mm-hmm. being the beauty, the more the ease mm-hmm. of life. Mm-hmm. And so it's like when you're in the Jalal of difficulty or the majestic sort of hard-to-bear qualities, divine qualities, you're mm-hmm. turning to God with desperation. But in the Jamal, don't forget him because that's the space you could be forgetful. So when you're in the wow. pool in the desert, don't forget that you were in the desert with no view of the pool. Mm-hmm. And so I'm in that wow. space... All I'm thinking is subhanAllah. And and then I swear to you, I go home, I open a book, the first the first page, first paragraph says, Life is like a desert. That's why you need a guide. Because with every (laughs) wind, the topography changes. And you don't know the signpost. I swear I swear on my my life, you don't know the signposts because life, when a breeze comes through. Everything changes. You need someone who's gotten across to take you across. Wow. Okay. I'm going to ask less intense questions next time I go on a hike.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Next time I'm just going to ask about like the stones themselves (laughs) and how those are created and why they're so beautiful.
1: (laughs) And can you imagine, like, all those stones? You would think I'd have the mind to, like, take them out of my backpack. I didn't.
0: No, 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 no. No, I'm so happy. that you- So you have them?
1: Yeah, I should send you a picture. But yeah, I have them.
0: I would love to see a photo. I feel- I I would never part ways with this. Especially because, like, I, I don't know. I feel like, one, the stones that come from the ground, just that's such pure, incredible energy. And the fact that you carried them throughout that just means that I feel like they, they're holding like the lesson with you and they're holding that experience with you. So I would, I would love to just like keep them as a keepsake. Like what a great souvenir.
1: It's a great souvenir story. I actually, I made it, made them into rings and a bracelet and I wear it sometimes to remind me like who I am, which is the girl lost in the desert and who Allah is. That's incredible.
0: That's so good. Who can
1: guide you Um, without maps.
0: Okay, so you know how we're like on the same radio frequency for sure. Yes, so I will continue on this. Um, What's very in tune right now is um, fun fact that I've never actually shared with anyone, but Mm -hmm. um, sometimes, a lot of times, Adam, my husband, will read to me as I go to bed, like a bedtime story. I love a bedtime story, so. Um, for the last week, he was like reading the secrets book, but yesterday for the first time, he was like, he was like, do you have the secrets book? Is that what you want for for me to read to you tonight? I know it sounds very childish, but it's like, to me, that's like my love language. I really love it. Um, And I said, not tonight. I actually want you to read for, I had, I had a pretty challenging day yesterday. So I was Mm. like, I actually want you to read from this, um, this other book that I had just started. And my former um, teammate had sent it to me because I told her about a project I was working on and she said, I think that you need to read this book. And the book was a field guide to getting lost. (laughs) And are you familiar with this book?
1: No, I haven't heard of it.
0: Oh my gosh. And so literally the words that I fell asleep to last night were about how people get lost, why people get lost and how they either do or don't get found. And so when you're telling me the story in my head, I'm just like, I I have like this next layer of mm. um, understanding and perspective because there's actually an art to getting lost and getting found. And I I'm I we've only started this book, so um, I'm still early in this process. But it's so amazing that you've brought this up because I, in this kind of in the thick of this journey that I'm on personally, mm. I come back to often the beauty in getting lost and that mm-hmm. how do we how do we actually celebrate getting lost how do we embrace getting lost how do we recognize that getting lost is not actually a bad thing i mean obviously when you're lost in a desert for many many hours and <laughs> you have to like face death in that way it's not like the healthiest best thing but the idea and the feel that getting lost is a mindset and that's actually what the book had said it was getting lost is a mindset and and how um, right now, for me at least, so the next project that I'm working on is uh, a documentary series documenting the state of religion, spirituality, and faith well, today. And like every one of my projects, it's this like broader investigation, but it's rooted in this personal journey of me going on this and me trying to figure out like, what what is the state and why have so many people felt the need to leave religion. Why are p- more people leaning towards spirituality? In that same podcast that I had listened to with the, the Reverend, with Krista Tippett, she mentions like how the perception of spirituality versus religion, people often think of spirituality as like, um, just like fluff and like, you just don't want to commit to anything. So you're just going to call yourself that, but it's actually mm. such engaging, intentional practice and mm. um, and connection to God. And so I've just been thinking about like how people have, and I, I think about language a lot and how we say, a lot of us say the same words, but we don't mean the same things. Mm. And so for example, and this is a very vulnerable example, but um, I'm part of the journey that I'm on right now is um, taking a step back from the hijab or from covering, which is mm-hmm. I'm approaching 30 and it's something I've done since I was 15 years old. And um, feels, it feels like a step that I really need to take for myself because of the, just all of the weight that I've carried and for many personal reasons. And, um, to some of my loved ones, it may, it's, it, it comes off mm-hmm. to them as a lack of faith. And to me, it's an act of faith or a leap of faith because it's, it's an action that I feel so deeply that I'm taking to say, I, I only want to do things that I know I'm doing for God and not for other people or not because of expectations or not because of perception. And I need to figure this out my, myself. Mm. And so I've been thinking today and yesterday about this idea of how many of us define faith differently. And I think that language is always a good starting place, but language is also a tool in which we can come back to, and we can use on the path to being lost, to getting lost. So I, I know it's a, you, you just shared your story of getting lost, but post that experience, especially since you were writing secrets during that process, how did you tap into the, the tool of language, and maybe even specifically the word faith, if you have a definition for that, how did that become a tool that you put into your kit For the next potential time you found yourself in a desert for 20 hours.
1: (laughs) Hmm. Wow. You know what feels like it comes up right now is there's actually these words I wrote. um, And it's literally titled Religious Shame. Hmm. And Mm -hmm. I feel like... I want to share this with you, but before that, in regards to what you shared about your journey, it's about, I feel like the Islamic path is about love. And that love.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Someone once asked me to find love and I said death. And it's <laughs> a, it's it's a feeling of being willing to die into the presence.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And there's a story of um, there's a story of I, I I always go back to the Mullah Nasruddin, He's like this comical character. Many countries, you know, call them call him theirs, but you know he goes across time and space. And there's a story of him where he's late and he runs into the mosque to pray and he does his prayers kind of quickly. And then the Imam grabs him and he's like Nasruddin, what was that? That was like lightning. That doesn't count. Now do your prayers intentionally and slowly. And the imam like stood there. And Nasruddin like prayed slowly. And then the imam said, now which one do you think God would like better? And Nasruddin said, Hmm. well, the first one I did for God. But the second one (laughs) I did for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's just a reminder that we have to make our religion our own. And... The companions, the family of the prophet, peace be upon him, don't inherit your faith. Investigate it. Be present with it. And that takes a lot of courage. And I believe that the path of Islam is really, is actually quite sophisticated and beautiful. It's clear, but it's not simple. And it takes time to sit with it and ask for Allah to open the way for us. And so I, in response to this question of faith, like there is this, there's these words I wrote about religious shame. And it frames how some of us reapproach faith in our taking in some of our cultural influences that sometimes aren't the true, the truth of faith. And so I'm just if if we have time, it's just a few minutes. I thought I could read this. I would love that. -hmm. The day I learned God's name, I also learned guilt. I also learned shame. Self-hate was the first messenger that came. See, as a child, no one told me that God and punishment were not the same. The way I was raised placed even more seeds of fear into my faith. Preachers paved into my brain so many pathways of brimstone and hate that the thousand sermons in my head eventually braided to a single voice that said, You will never be forgiven. You will never be saved. Before I could even love God, I was already far too afraid he would throw me into an ocean of flames. Shame is a disease that seeps into my heart vein deep. But it's more than this blood that I bleed, it bleeds into my self-worth convincing me. I am nothing more than my weight in dirt. Shame is a cigarette bud in a forest of dry brush. It doesn't take much to burn you up and make you think you don't deserve to be loved. I didn't think I deserved to be loved. So it's no surprise I couldn't accept who I was. It's no surprise I tried to hide beneath the surface, try to convince the world In myself, that I was perfect as I felt this person to be worthless, I was a thousand different people. Each more broken than stained glass in cathedrals, binging on shame and doses that were lethal, until I was convinced that God's mercy must not exist. How could a loving God make you feel like this? Like you don't deserve to live. Shame must be the devil's greatest trick because it placed a vast abyss between me and my God, convincing me I was a fraud, that I was my flaws. It took 10 years before I saw that I never felt like I belonged because my perception of God was wrong. I realized the real lie was to think I had to be perfect to come to faith when it's God who erases all our mistakes. I wish I could go back in the past and make that confused girl grasp the infinite mercy that God has. I wish someone would have been there to say what I will say today. God's love is not just based on how we behave. He is entirely independent from what he creates. His love is unconditional. It doesn't just depend on our faith. Our actions and thoughts could never change the fact that God cares that his love is infinite and God shares, that his mercy precedes his wrath, that love are the tiles that pave his path, that he doesn't judge or condemn our filth or our sins only seeks for us to turn back to him. So don't be afraid to come with your shame. God already knows everything anyways. Not returning to God because you're too filthy is like not taking a shower because you're too dirty. It makes no sense. Because if we didn't make mistakes, God said he'd create another creation that did because he loves that much to forgive. So this Mm. life, it's not about wrong versus right. It's about reaching toward the light. It's about knowing who you are, that you are not defined by your scars, that you were chosen over the mountains and the stars to be the carrier of God's names in your heart. So next time, Shame tries to poke holes in your boat of faith. Next time you hear whispers that say you'll never be saved, look at the serpent straight in the eyes and tear off your human disguise and blind the darkness with your infinite light. Tell the devil that this time you won't be tricked by his lies, that this time you see that you are a mirror for the divine So you were already perfect inside because perfection is not to be free from flaws or defects. It's to never forget the forgiving God that you reflect.
0: And one plus one equals two. (laughs) And that's what she prefers. (laughs) That was.
1: I'm sure. Thank
0: you. I want to share a quick good deed opportunity with you. As you may know, my family has been running the ICU Foundation since I was 12. And at ICU, we work to alleviate local homelessness and support community members in need by creating and distributing winter care packages, family food bags, grocery gift cards, and running our local community pantry. One family food bag costs about $35. And you can sponsor one or more food bags by contributing. Our Venmo is at ISY Foundation. That's also our Instagram if you want to support there. And our PayPal is contact at ISYfoundation.org. ISYfoundation.org is also our website. Thank you for taking the time to listen and support. Okay, back to Helwa.
1: I just share this because I wrote this just about 10 years ago. So hmm. it's a reminder that we all come onto this path from our different stories and our different pains and our different burdens. And if we pray to God to show us a path beyond and past the things that we inherited, it's this light, light and love that shines through and our histories can sometimes get in the way of receiving that. And that's the practice of astaghfirullahaladzim. It's turning from that which is not true or illusion to that which is truth, inshallah.
0: Hello. what is a question that you are currently asking yourself?
1: I feel like it's uh, less a question and more a prayer. I asked uh, one of my friends once. She's a spiritual companion what legacy do you want to leave this earth when you pass? And she said, I want to leave this earth a sincere prayer. I want my legacy to be that. So I've started to sort of call into my heart prayers now. Not just because questions get me lost in the desert, but... but, but <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. And, uh, I've never asked another question. <laughs> Unless I'm in a mall in Dubai, I'm not asking questions. I'm just kidding. No, yeah. <laughs> um, but the question that's like p- question slash prayer, I guess, on my heart is Allah guide me to hold myself with the gentleness I so easily hold others with. Um, In the past, I would have asked Allah, how can I hold myself with the gentleness that I feel I can hold others? But I don't, I wanna receive the epiphany in my heart and not in my mind. So I reframe it into a prayer.
2: Whoa.
0: I like that. Reframing questions into prayers so that you can receive the epiphany in your heart instead of your mind. That's a bar.
2: Mm. Mm. Thank you. Sure.
0: Thank you. So, you know, we have this beautiful book club of your book, Secrets of the Divine Love. And it's wild because I had posted about the book and my aunt had gifted it to me years ago. And like many people in the book club, um, it was one of those things that, it's funny enough, actually, I think it was when I kind of in the beginning of my journey, in this chapter of my journey, where I had this realization. I was like, you know what? I think I just really need to read the Quran. And then... Instead, what popped up, like literally the book was on my bench and I had like really seen it for the first time was Secrets of Divine Love. And I realized that it needed, I needed to start here because I had built up so much like resistance Mm. that I needed to just feel immense amounts of love from the Word of God before. Like being a as a as a way to start softening my heart, I think. Um, and anyway, I shared the book and I said I was like, if I had the capacity to do this as a book club, I would. But I think part of me was just like, let me just put this out there and see how people react. And I had never received such a reaction where people not only were like, please actually make this a book club, but they wanted to be of service. And so I couldn't mm-hmm. even tell you how many people were like. I know you don't have capacity so I can handle this or I'll do this or I'll do this. No. Let's just do it. And I was like, Whoa. And it felt like such a responsibility. And we had shared the sign up a few times and we got 1100 signups, which is kind no. of bonkers. Um, and the, yeah, subhanAllah. And it's just been become such a beautiful community where during Ramadan, every Sunday we have, um, about a couple hundred people come on and sit for like two to three hours and we share and we talk and we ask questions. So I want to honor their time. Um, I had them submit questions and there's quite a few, but I'm only going to ask a couple. Cause I know okay. we have, um, I mean, I know that you're probably, it's very late to where you are. Um, Ramadan so nights. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Okay, they're very profound questions, but I'll ask to one from Amira in the Philippines, which actually, I really like this one. What does Jannah mean to you or paradise
1: or heaven? What does that mean to you? Mm. So the first thing that came up for me was that everything in this realm is a symbol. And in that symbol, it's hiding its essence. And what we reach for is the essence, but we see Mm. the symbol. Mm. So if I was sitting in front of you, I would be reaching for, present with, this quality in you that language couldn't capture, but we would land on a hug, you know? Yes, It's like you would hit a symbol. Everything here is symbols, just like language. The beautiful thing about Arabic is it's trilateral. The root system shows you that there's more to it.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so I feel like heaven is a place where the cloak comes off and you're in the pure essence of that which it's like in quantum – Anyways, in quantum mechanics, they have something called entangled electrons, and it's like yes, we love quantum. Talk. Okay, okay. Well, cool. there's this like this entanglement with essence, and you're mm. finally present without separation,
2: mm.
1: but in light. And to me, that's like the deep. Lo- it's like the. F- it's the filling of every space in the heart. But the filling is interesting because the space is the illusion and that's what you notice. (laughs) So it's a completion. Mm. Mm. And so for me, that's like being with the presence of the prophets, peace be upon them all, and the guides and the teachers and the holy people. And of course, God. But how, how are you with unity as a separate self? And it's really that dissolving is like, it's so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I feel like at the core of all my longing is is that desire for unity. So for me, heaven would be that, to be with the essence without the separation of forms.
0: That's so, I'm so happy you shared that because that's how I've actually been reflecting on it too, is just like being being in the purest form of unity and oneness where we're all like kind of back together mm. in that way.
2: Mm.
0: So this question is from Zhuhi from New York. What is something unexpected you learned during the research process, either about Islam or other cultures and religions you mentioned in the book?
1: Mm. That's a really good question. Um, mm-hmm. She's a great question asker. Yeah, she's good. Man, that's one of the things I did realize with the with the book club was just how wonderfully intelligent and deep and beautiful and sensitive and generous and amazing these, I think mostly women, um, but it was just so yeah. beautiful. I just was blown away. Um, mm-hmm. There's definitely some writers, poets, and philosophers in my group. <laughs>
0: That tends to be the audience.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Man, it's that radio tuning you got going there. We love it. Um, That's a great question. So one of the things that I think really surprised me was how much the theology of different traditions can be different, but how the stories are so similar. Yes. And I find that to be... So one of the things that I've found, like, if you asked me, like, if I had a day off, what I would spend, like, doing in terms of reading, it would always be mm-hmm. collecting stories. That's my thing. Mm-hmm. Like, go to libraries, collect stories. It's the thing I love doing more than anything. Um, and that's where I really learned that our experiences as human beings are very, very similar. Yeah. The meaning we attribute to things can be very different.
2: Mm -hmm. But if you really Mm -hmm.
1: listen to a person, to people across time, actually, and space, reading these books, Mm -hmm. but even in the present moment, I learned if you really listen, not to what a person is saying, but to what is moving them, you'll find that it's Mm -hmm. not that different from you. Mm -hmm. So you may have someone who's politically very different from you. And you may say, you know, that's really, that's racist. That's discriminatory. And if you ask them, why did you say that? And why? And why? And you keep asking. They usually end up at a value that you agree with. But the way they they um, imagine obtaining that value may be something you're vehemently against. Right. And it's, for me, it's always been so interesting because you see that across traditions too, that We are all looking for love. We're all looking for home. We're all looking for, like, um, belonging. But sometimes that leads to oppression. (laughs) I don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. But that deep longing inside Mm
2: -hmm. is
1: is a truth. Mm
2: -hmm. And one
1: of the ways it's described is it's a quality of God hits the mirror of the heart. But if there's a crack based on a trauma or a wound, the light refracts. And that refraction leads to pain, suffering, oppression, war. Like the real longing for human beings is, we're all reaching for God. We just land on different things. And I, for me, it was just a really beautiful teaching. Um, and it's still unfolding, I think, in many ways.
0: I have like a little sub question to that because that's I. It's less specific, but it's more I I mean, your answer right now feels less specific, but more of the like broader light that encompasses the body of work. And just in brief words, aside from getting lost in the desert, if you were to tell somebody in a couple of sentences how you received this book i don't even say how did you write this book how did you receive it how did you create the space inside of you to be open enough to receiving this book what
1: does that look like Mm. i remember the moment very clearly Mm. i was it's actually well it's actually three moments really the first moment was a teacher of mine put her hand on my back and said, how are you doing? And I said, I'm good. And then she said, how are you doing, comma, really? <laughs> and I was waterworks. Totally a mess. That was the first experience of someone saying, I care about your truth.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the blessing of receiving so many beautiful teachings and just feeling, 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 like loving it. And then the next moment, which was, now it's time to share And me going, no, 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 not me, not me, not me, not me. So the denial (laughs) came very Mm. quick. No, not me, other people, someone else, a sheikh, an imam, someone who was whatever. And it was just, no, no, no. And then the next piece came, which is, then I heard the pain of someone's voice tuned mm. in the universe saying, I'm not well, really. Like there's a longing, really. Mm. And it was like the teacher that placed her hand on my back and said, I care about you. It was like the mantle was passed. Like
2: mm-hmm. you're not
1: gonna do it the way I did, but put your hand on someone else's back and what does it look like for you to say, I care about you really? Mm. And that's really what it felt like. It felt like the book really just came in for a per- one person. It still blows me away. And it's actually interesting. Since because that's actually in the book, and I remember my editor being like, What is this? this make makes no sense. I'm like, I don't think it's supposed to make sense. The person who knows will know.
2: <laughs> they'll know, <laughs> you
1: know. They'll know. And then
0: like everybody in book club raises their hand. They're like, that was me. It,
1: right. And then it was funny because that's what happened is
2: mm-hmm. people
1: started messaging like, I think it was my prayer. I think it was my and I'm like, I think it was the it was the it was the plane of existence.
0: Exactly. It's exactly.
1: that place that you full circle were present in, it's like everyone arrived there mm-hmm. and it could have came to anyone in that plane that's why i don't take it so seriously that but also back to the pseudonym like it's appropriate to have a mm-hmm. name that's an that just reflects beauty like god's beauty you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's not it's not really owned by anyone you know yeah. so because it's like it came down to one plane just like Okay, you wrote it. And then no I sometimes I say that and people are like, oh, are you saying this is revelation? No, I just mean in my own little world, God inspired me like He has inspired many writers and artists, I think. Um, yeah,
0: but yeah. isn't it all like revelation in a way? Like why does it have to why do we have to like get into the semantics of like what the technicalities of that requires? Like I feel like and like you say with like artists and writers and and I, this is I say this. And I know my tone sounds a little bit frustrated, but it's just like, but God speaks through all of us mm. and in, in our words and our art. I always call it like downloads or channeling mm-hmm. when you know it's bigger than you. And like, why, why do we have to put shame around that? I feel like it's it's actually giving God the credit for using you as a vessel, and that is to me like the most important prayer or ask that I have is like, just continue to use me as a vessel. I don't Mm. know for what like this time or this day or whatever, but I know that like I can feel peace when it gets really scary because that's, that is the guidance that is being given.
1: Mm. I agree. I mean, I see revelation as revealed truth, meaning it's been present always. Yeah. So yes,
0: yes. Yeah. Julie also asks, what are you currently reading or listening to right now?
1: Ooh, good question. Um, I'm actually currently reading two books. Um, One is this, it's called like Rumi Daylight. It's just selections of Rumi's poetry. And usually when I'm traveling, I read poetry because, you know, you're like in a train, in a bus, in a plane, and it's nice just Mm -hmm. to take one or like a few verses in. Um, mm-hmm. and then of course the Quran because of the month of Ramadan, but mm-hmm. there is this book. Do so I- you have a
0: translation that you read or do you only read it in Arabic?
1: So I do both, but the translations I've, and it's, it's so interesting with translation because I, I like to read different ones because people have different takes on the same words, you know, but, um, mm-hmm. I like Yahya Emricks, I like Muhammad mm-hmm. Assad's. Um, like Yusuf Ali just like reading through the different styles but I'll always try to have a different translation every year um, interesting yeah and it almost like it illuminates different um, aspects of of the revelation you know um, which I found wow yeah I found a lot of value in um, and then I'm I'm actually so aside from the poetry book I'm actually in a learning about the sacred tradition of music, which is a little, like, people get... Love. Uh, ...thing about in the Islamic world. But it's about the different um spiritual traditions and the yes. influences of music. Because in even in Palestine, you used to, like, 400 years ago, on the steps of near the Al-Aqsa Mosque, they used to have masters teach the nay, the Oud. Like, it was very much a part of the culture... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in Turkey, they used to have maqams, which is like the Mm -hmm. musical tunings of whatever. And they would prescribe them as like medicine to... Yeah, because it's vibration. Right. And it's just like, and then all across, like into the Christian tradition, the Hindu, like just all across, it's just interesting to see how people Mm -hmm. interacted with sound. And I think it's really important as I'm sitting deeply with the Quran being a recital and sound and the impact of its sound. And a lot of people mm. who study like deeply the different recitations of the Quran have a really good understanding of music um, mm. and tonal and their tonal and mel- melody. So it's like really just very fascinating. And I think it's one of the ways that I just say that anyone's out there is like, if you're studying faith, study yeah. other um other modalities, like maybe it's philosophy, maybe it's um, neuroscience, maybe it's physics, but it enriches, it really does enrich Mm -hmm. because it widens your mind to see different Mm -hmm. signs. And so, yeah, so I've just been really enjoying this course. So
0: I love that. Mm. My sub question to that is when a person chooses to embark on a spiritual journey and they're afraid and they're leaving behind what they know to go into the unknown, What is like one? What is the book that you're like, take this with you as a companion?
1: Mm. I think uh, it's funny because I'm like flipping in the library of my mind. But (laughs) what I actually land on, which is not very satisfying, I think, for people, is I would actually take an empty notebook. Of course you said that. And I would let your journey speak to you
2: Mm. and
1: make space. That's perfect. To live your own. Like Rumi says, like, don't read the myths of others. Unfold your own. So like let how God is guiding you speak to you. Doesn't mean you won't (sighs) get counsel from outside and be influenced, but let your own words. You know, sometimes my friends will pen pal, and often when they send me their um, what they wrote, I'll record myself reading it and send it back to them. Which sounds like you would enjoy that.
0: I <laughs> would love you that. You like being read Sign to? Sign me up. <laughs>
1: but like, <laughs> I do that because I genuinely believe that there's something in the recited word back that yes. you yes. now you're receiving it through different mode. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be really healing. So to, to yeah. write and to read it out loud to yourself, to engage with your feelings, to make space for how you feel.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, beautiful. Thank you. And then the way we wrap these conversations is a fill in the blank. So you can share one, two or three statements filling in the blank. If you really knew me, you would know. And you got to make it spicy because you write under a pseudonym. I don't even know what you look like. I know nothing (laughs) about you except for what has been published. So Helwa, if you really knew me, you would know what?
1: You would know, um, I love to ride my skateboard to the beach. It's messing Girl people's crush. image of who I am right now.
0: No, it's perfect. This is exactly the image that I need. Thank you.
1: Okay. Do you have to do three statements?
0: You can do it. Do you feel content with one? If you want to do more, you can. I would love more because, you know, okay. it's like the inside scoop. If this you really a-
1: knew me, you would know that I would write texts that entirely rhyme for like 20 lines <laughs> for no good reason. And I can't stop. It's a problem. Um That's amazing. If you knew me, you'd know that I randomly call my friends and I totally write friendship love letters. Yes. Um, and if you really knew me, you would know that. I genuinely think that I'm the most average Muslim <laughs> that I know. <laughs> and um, I feel beyond grateful for the friends that I have that continue to inspire me. And um, I would include mm-hmm. your name in that list, Or um, Oh, my getting gosh. The,
0: I get a friendship letter? Yeah.
1: Oh, my God. I'm totally saying <laughs> A long, rhymy letter. Uh, no, but I, really, like, I know that, like, people who came on this call, maybe some people are listening to this that didn't, but you – by the grace of God, so masterfully hold space for people and so sincerely ask questions. And I know that, like, you do this, this is something you're really good at. And I'm sure you've, you know, been doing it for a while, but it's not just how you do it, it's the spirit in which you hold people with. It's so genuine and it's so sincere. And I deeply pray that Allah gives you the ease and the gentleness you give others that you're able to give that to yourself and that as you're walking through this journey that you're on, that you feel his presence so close to you in every moment. And then in those lonely moments of solitude where everyone else is asleep or everyone else is in their own worlds, that you feel the presence of the God who created all worlds, that he's with you. And I Mm -hmm. deeply, deeply pray for you to have the openings that you seek and that you feel safe, secure, and the mercy and kindness of Allah upon you always. Shalom. Ameen.
0: Ameen, 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 Ameen. I I am going to receive all of that, because I know that that came from outside of you and above you and around you and all of the things, and it is more than appreciated. And thank you for putting your insides onto paper And giving a lot of people the opportunity to see that the language of God is one of love. And it's one of love that exceeds the definition of love that we were taught. And the Mm -hmm. fear that we were taught is something that we have the courage and ability and strength to let go of so that we can embody and embrace ourselves in awe and in love and in graciousness. And that. Uh, friendship is a medicine that allows Mm. us to continue that love. And so I'm grateful for your time and I'm grateful for your truth and I'm grateful for your feedback and your light. And thank you for blessing our book club and allowing us to have this space where people can just literally show up exactly as they are and be loved and be loved.
1: Mm. Thank you.
0: And also, I truly pray and hope that this trip that you take to Philistine is filled with the inner peace and that that inner peace radiates Mm. across the land that is experiencing so much violation Mm. and violence. And that when you are there, you are embodying a light that can be covered and a light that can cover others and can protect them and protect you, and that you find a lot of stray cats who remind you that Mm. cats are Muslim and that they are (laughs) filled with God's love and light, and that you eat amazing food, and that you remember and Mm. you realize and you see exactly the humanity that we are meant to serve. Mm. I mean. I mean, we did it. Yay. (laughs)
1: Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Podcast Noor is an AYS production. Producers include myself, Adam Hafif, and Sara Isa. Editing, mixing, and mastering by Bahid Frazier. Extra gratitude and thanks to our storyteller, A. Helwa. Make sure you get a copy of Secrets of Divine Love. And as always, at your service.